Hello, welcome back. It's week 60 on Out on That Line. I'm Jeff with my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you doing this week? Jeff, we're going to make this one extra sloppy. <laughs> yes, we have Sloppy Jane and her new album, Madison. And we're going to talk about that one a little later. But we have something else that we need to talk about first. And it is December officially as we record this here on December 1st. You'll be hearing this on Monday, December 6th. Am I taking a shot in the dark there? Is that correct? Oh, God. What's today? The first? Today's the first. Thursday the yeah, second. You Friday were right. the third. Dang. Look at that. Shit. Right in the pocket, Jeff. Well done. Yeah. Whew. Man, you can't start any better than that. So Math we're gonna, boys. We're keep this baby going. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be time for our end of the year episode. So we are going to be going over some of the best and some of the worst, some of the interesting things that happened in the world of music this year as we close out 2021. Man, if you blinked, you missed it, huh? This year really flew by, didn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Life is hell. <laughs> Oh, and we'll be reviewing the Omarion variant soon, I'm sure, and mm. why it's going to lead to more concert cancellations and all that fun kind of stuff. But that that's 2022's problem. Right now, we're worried about what happened in 2021. So last chance, folks. Seriously, truly, last chance. If you had something that you loved in music this year, tell us about it. If you had something you hated in music this year, tell us about it. Even if you hated us. And that was what you hated about music this year. Tell us about it. We probably won't talk about it. We'll probably cry a little bit on our own. But just tell us about it. You can you can do it through our Instagram. You could do it through our Twitter. You could do it through email at our Gmail. Whatever way you want to do it. Hop in those YouTube comments. Whatever you want to do. If you heard something this year that you can't get out of your head, tell us. And we'll talk about it. Yeah. And again, if you're going to talk shit about us, then we're going to absolutely attack you personally. So keep that in mind when you decide to try to be cheeky and pull the wool over our eyes. It's not going to fucking work. Okay. Yeah. You hear that, Tanner? Hear that? Don't even try it. Actually, Brandon, all the usual suspects. We're using your government names. You are outed, my friends. You're done. Yeah. Don't don't worry. We we just need you to know that we're serious. That when you go back and listen to this, you'll know you were warned. So if you give us some bullshit for this end of the year playlist, end of the year podcast, it's going to come back to haunt you. Yeah. I promise you that. Like the ghosts of podcast past. It is the holiday season. and We will be coming for you. This podcast, you point out the year that was 2021. Might I remind everybody that this podcast was forged in the fires of a pandemic. Okay? Yes. This is like a they what they say about like it's a junkyard cat. It was birthed in a puddle of gasoline and walked through hell and you know, didn't catch fire. It's a tough son of a gun. That's what this podcast is. Okay? Mm-hmm. We didn't have mm-hmm. this before when we were living in Brooklyn and Austin, living in our best lives eating vegan fucking soup. We didn't form mm-hmm. it when life was a luxury. We formed it when times got hard. And these are hard times. And we are hard men who are perfect mm-hmm. for these hard times. Mm-hmm. So don't mm-hmm. fuck with us. And in exchange, Preach. I will bleep out everyone's government names so we can all be square. How about that? <laughs> See, we we can be benevolent as well. I like to think so. I like yeah, to remember. Best of both worlds. Every time I forget what the word human means, I decide it's time to probably try to do something benevolent. <laughs> Just you got to center yourself once in a while. Yeah. And it is the holiday season, so you got to you got to do it. Never I got a question for you. Ooh, okay. Did you listen to uh, Alice's Restaurant on Thanksgiving? No. Like a good little white boy? No. No, I don't do that. I'm sorry. This is an exclusive for Tanner too. I feel really bad. He was he loves mm. it. He gets very fired up for it. I think I've gotten mm-hmm. like five minutes into it before I turn it off. I just mm-hmm. it doesn't do it for me. Well, well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we made it to sixty episodes. Yeah, at least we can hang our hat on that. I really thought you were about to take that sweet, delicate little turn into agreeing with me, and you didn't. You really subverted my expectations. <laughs> I happen to love that song. <laughs> It's not bad, I guess. I just, I don't know, it doesn't mean anything to me. 
well, apparently you can't get everything you want at Alice's restaurant because Alex won't listen to it. No, I have no context for what happens for three quarters of the song. Oh, my God. Well, it's about a restaurant. If you want, if you want a synopsis here, it's about a restaurant. There's some garbage that gets thrown down a hill. The restaurant used to be owned by Alice, but she's not really there anymore. So you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant except for Alice. There's I some see. jail time involved. There's a sheriff. Some ne'er-do-wells, you know. Lots of stuff going on, but it's a really beautiful Thanksgiving story. And a holiday that doesn't get a lot of love musically. Wait, am I you know, mistaken? joke or, songs. Am I mistaken or do they eat people in Alice's restaurant? Uh, no, they do not eat people in Alice's restaurant. Are you positive? Uh, well, not in the cannibalistic sort of way, but I'm sure the other sort of way has happened before. <laughs> well, Jeff, how how <laughs> you you go blue like this on a family show? <laughs> well, like I said, you get anything you want at Alice's restaurant, okay? So if you go there wanting that... That's what you're going to get. Okay. Okay. I'm in. Okay. Well, I'm just I'm just saying it's it's an underrated holiday as far as music goes. It needs to get a little more love. And I realized that Alice's Restaurant and that Adam Sandler Thanksgiving song are really the only two that we've got. I was just about to say the Adam Sandler one, and, and once you said it, that's it. Gone. Nothing. I can't That's think of all. anything else. That's all there is. Was there one? I think Charlie Brown did the Thanksgiving special. Did they have a, a special theme song for that? Some creepy children's choir thing, probably. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was probably instrumental or some weird bullshit like that. I hate yeah. that. Yeah, me too. We're going to. Yeah. Speaking of instrumentals, we're going to have one to talk about. Whew. Yeah. Whew. Well. Let's wrap it up. Let's yeah. put a little bow on this segment here. So get us your nominations, your thoughts about your favorite things that happened to music this year. Get it to us quickly because this is right now is the deadline that we set December 1st, but we decided that we're going to kind of push back the recording of it a little bit. So you bought our, you bought yourselves a little more time, folks. So get those submissions in. Hopefully they're in time. If they're not, we'll tell you that we've already recorded and you're shit out of luck and maybe maybe you can be a little on the ball next year more than you were this year just just keep that in mind folks but get us those submissions so that we can have a banger episode to close out 2021 it'll be our second annual year-end episode can you believe that i love that i love that as a tradition i like that we have an awards show to end the year it's perfect yeah and it's a pretty prestigious one if i do say so myself oh i would have to agree with you jeff yeah what do we what did what are we calling the awards? Ooh, that's a great that's a great question. Yeah. You could always go like what do they call the awards in the office Thunder Mifflin the Dundies? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can get like the Lineys. That sounds like a cocaine production award. <laughs> or like somebody just doesn't know how to say limeys. Yeah, there um, you go. What what would we call them? Cuz I mean like the the recording academy or whatever it's called the grammys like what's that stand for like the oscars that doesn't have anything to do with the with the name of the academy that gives them out right i mean i don't know where oscar comes from but through context clues i have to imagine grammy comes from the fact that the award is shaped like a gramophone and like we're gonna give them a grammy a little gramophone we're gonna give them a grammy for all the great work ah, that they did. I think that might, might be what that is. Dang, you're right. You're right. That's exactly what it is. Well, yeah, what do they get? Maybe they named Oscar after some... So what do we what do we want to call them? Well, yeah, what, what are we theoretically giving out? Because that'll inform it. If it's like a rubber dog turd, I guess it would be like the turdy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just spitballing. Do we could well let's just say Turdies is the placeholder name unless we come up with something better. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, tune in to our year-end episode to see who gets the Turdies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do the good people get? Shinier Turdies. There you go. The golden yeah. Turdy. Yeah, the the artist of the year gets the golden dirty oh this is awesome this is so awesome (laughs) so when we 
as a as a podcast comment the little turd emojis on artists posts they're gonna know that it's that's an award that's not telling them that they're shit it's an award yes they'll know what they'll they'll understand yeah they'll understand because they're gonna hear this they're gonna hear this explanation that we're giving so they'll know i know for a fact doja cat listens to this podcast you can't ask me how i know that but i know for a fact that she does it's like when you you can sense when you're looking at the same moon as someone else like you just get that feeling like you can see their reflection in the moon when you're looking at it as well so you know that they're looking it's that same feeling that you get with doja cat i assume yeah it's that connection where we're both looking at pictures of doja cat and that's our equivalent (laughs) of the moon oh well that's i mean that's a good place for both of you to be i think so yeah it's a benefit all around well what do you say we get in to a little sloppy jane let's slop them up all right so this one was a suggestion by you and i was gonna i was gonna ask why and i'm still gonna ask why but after i listened to it and heard how weird it is i was like (laughs) now i know exactly why he suggested this one but i'm gonna let you tell us a little bit more about it again i it's all my relationship with spotify i am an absolute wild card like my we just did our spotify wrapped Spot, like the algorithm broke trying to categorize everything yeah and i don't read say me that your top five to read me your top five artists from this year oh, fuck my phone oh, my phone's charging by the wall okay if you want to entertain the people for a riff i could probably go get it okay do it i'll read off mine how about that because i okay. have my wrapped as well so let me pull that up here um i can already tell you spoiler alert coheed and cambria is on my is on my top five shock number one for like the 15th or 16th year in a row however long spotify has existed that's how long coheed and cambria has been number one in my wrapped list so without further ado here so it goes coheed and cambria number one i'm gonna go from five down to two here make it a little more interesting so number five tyler childers number four sturgill simpson number three (laughs) turnstile number two Against me. Oh. Yes. And number one, Coheed and Cambria. My top five songs were three Coheed songs and two Turnstile songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. You really, yeah. Spotify knows, loves, and trusts you. Yeah. Okay. Wait. <laughs> All right. Let me get mine here. Give the people what they want. All right, I had to screenshot it. Okay, here we go. It decided that my top genre was indie rock, even though my top artists are Olivia Rodrigo, Lingua Ignota, Dr. Dog, Doja Cat, and somehow Illuminati Hotties. I hammered that album enough, I guess. damn. Because that's from five to one. I got Doja, Dog, Illuminati Hotties, Lingua, Olivia, Rodrigo. So Illuminati Hotties made it to three. Yeah. That's great because Turnstile, like when I did that singles video for Turnstile. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever heard them. So that was, I mean, two months ago. So same thing. You hammered them. Crush. That's insane. That's insane that it made up such a huge bulk of your, your year end. Yeah. Wow. But also, think about the amount of variety that we have to listen to to do the podcast, where it's like, if it was just me, you know, I'm sure Strand of Oaks would have been up there because I would have had more time to listen to, like, more of the things that I choose to go to myself rather than what we choose for the podcast. And, like, a lot of times, what we choose for the podcast, I end up listening to a ton, like Illuminati Hotties. I'm honestly surprised that they didn't crack the top five because I think I listened to that album like probably nine or ten times. I mean, it was it was pretty substantial. Um, but it's like very interesting how an album can strike you like that. And, you know, I wonder is like is that going to make it a top top album of the year for me? You know, who knows? I guess people got to tune in to find out. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to give any way any uh, playful secrets here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry. I took us on a massive detour of like, well, how did you find this? <laughs> Spotify 
legitimately like does not know what to it's like how can i please you and just throws everything at me so i tend to go based on like how weird the name is and what the cover art looks like mm-hmm. to prioritize like what i dive into and i saw this and i was like okay this looks cool it's got kind of that like you know dragon riders of pern kind of 90s fantasy font it's this mm-hmm. weird backlit image of this woman in a cave with a creepy little plastic horse i'm like this is interesting and then you dive in and immediately i was like i gotta see if jeff wants to do this (laughs) and i did i did want to do it this was um i'm just gonna get it right out there and this is maybe something that you drew comparison to as well but kate bush oh yeah i mean like i heard a ton of that in this album and i was expecting this to be more along the lines of like um julian baker or like that kind of style of like the indie country sort of kind of singer songwriter type stuff and that was not it at all this was much closer to um was it heather trost yes and what was the what was the name of that album because it was i i don't have it pulled right up here i'm trying to think of the name of it the album that we reviewed for it yeah you know, it gave me like very, it was so much more similar to that than anything I expected it to be. Yeah. It's, uh, so you say like, oh, it wasn't really, it didn't really have anything in common with like the indie girls like Julian Baker mm-hmm. and Phoebe Bridgers, which is interesting because like I do hear Phoebe Bridgers in certain moments. Phoebe specifically, yeah. Yeah. Like there's even a part where I'm like, that reminds me a lot of Kyoto. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, you're right, it's not, it only like lapses into an indie rocker girl sound in certain areas. And that's where I'm really reminded of Phoebe Bridgers, who used to play bass when Sloppy Jane was more of a like punk outfit. Phoebe okay. Bridgers played bass for her a bunch. And Phoebe Bridgers, uh, oh. her imprint, Satisfactory, through Dead Oceans, that's the record label that this was released on. Got it. So oh, there's a big kind of Phoebe Bridgers circle, presence. Yeah. Yeah, full circle. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. But this is this is some wild shit. It 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 mm-hmm. definitely has Kate Bush and Phoebe Bridgers and it's baroque, it's classical, it's cosmic country like it just dips into so many different things but overall just has this like giant chamber music sound to it and that is because she recorded this fucking thing in a cave in West Virginia. Oh my god, for real? Yes. Lost World Caverns in West Virginia. You know what? I think I've been there. Have you really? I've been to I don't maybe it was eh, it probably actually wasn't that, but I've definitely been to caverns in the like Appalachian area. Maybe it was in Virginia, but I used to have a like a sweatshirt that was like a from the gift shop at these caverns. From when I was little, I'll have to ask my dad what what it was called that maybe it wasn't in west virginia but i don't i definitely didn't come up with this album after i went there so she got something out of it that i didn't that's for sure jeff got shit on by a bat that was pretty much it (laughs) um yeah so it's pretty cool like they they recorded from three in the afternoon to eight in the morning in the caves and the pianos took a day to move underground and the, because of the humidity, the recording equipment had to be in a car up above the cavern, and they would run wires down through a hole into mm. the fucking bottom of the cave where they were making this. 21 musicians assembled to make a fucking album in a cave. Holy if that is shit. not the most me thing you've ever heard in your life, then you don't know <laughs> me at all. That is some over-the-top shit. It's flamboyant. It's ostentatious, it's opulent, it's audacious. I have yeah, so many words it, for it, Jeff, but in truth, it really just is. Yeah, well, it starts right out. I mean, Overture, and, you know, it's it, it, this is a, out on that line first, I'm pretty sure, choosing an instrumental song as one of the ones that we're going to talk about. I think so. Yeah, I can't remember any other time we've done that. No, me either. Yeah, so Overture is the first song. One of your picks. Hit it. I thought this was an important one to pick because of the fact that it is an overture. And what is the function of an overture? It's to get the people in their seats, get you settled, warm you up, give you themes that you're going to hear throughout the rest of the piece. 
I'm thinking specifically musical theater because that's what that used to be my mm-hmm. world for a while. And the overture here does what I'm going to reference our old pal Pearl Charles does what the Pearl Charles album tricked me into doing. I listened to Only for Tonight and I said, oh, it's like a country disco cosmic cosmic gumbo. I can't wait. <laughs> and it, it wrote me a check that the rest of the album couldn't cash. But here, the overture immediately lets you know exactly what's going on mm-hmm. in this album. And it's not going to be like anything you've heard, but it's not inaccessibly weird. Yeah. I really, I liked it. So, because I'm going to bring up Coheed here. Yes. And don't worry, it's going to tie in. And I don't know if you've listened to enough Coheed where you know about the like the Coheed theme. And I say that in air quotes. Um, but it's most present and where I think you've most likely heard it is the In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth album, the first song, when he's he answers the phone, he says, hello, Apollo, where should I begin? And then it goes into this instrumental and it's like, and that is repeated so much throughout all of the albums in that Amory Wars like story arc, like through that album the end of the album, the outro, like when it gets into the hidden track on that album, even into the next album, the the first in the Good Apollo series, like that theme goes through. So when she did this, and I didn't know that this was going to happen until I'd listened to the whole album all the way through and heard those themes kind of over and over again. And it was such a good way, just like you said, to warm you up, even though it's an instrumental and you're like, is this an orchestral album and at first i was like why did he send me this is like this how the whole thing is gonna be because i hadn't looked up anything to see if there was any lyrics i got through the first song and i was like weird okay an instrumental and then the first one doesn't start right out with lyrics either and i was like what in tarnation is going on here uh but it just it was such a good lead-in because one it was interesting we're not used to hearing that kind of stuff for the albums that we do and two, it really does do exactly what you say. It really sets the mood for the whole album, even though musically, you know, there's stuff that's off the wall and stuff that's nothing like the orchestral beginning of the album, but it's all like very well thought out, like every single bit of it. I heard a lot of even Tom Waits, and yes. especially in one yes. of the songs that we're going to talk about later. Um, it just was a really, an album that could have gone wrong in so so very many ways and just doesn't it's just i love this new wave of these young artists and i don't know how young she is um or if it's really a full band it's really just one person that kind of does Haley doll all yeah. of it right yeah um and has probably i'm sure like a familiar rotating cast of musicians like tim showalter does with strand of oaks or like phoebe bridgers does with her band you know that same kind of thing um but it's like very much could have gone way, way wrong. But this vision, I feel like she just held it all together. And what a big thing. Like, look at what happened with Casey Musgrave, Starcrossed, and how ambitious that was. You know, and that's that's an example of where things, like, I don't think it went totally wrong. I think I liked that album more than you did. But, mm. like, it just didn't go as well as it should have or could have. You know, it seemed like she was maybe stretched too thin. I feel like Sloppy Jane they put this together and knew exactly what they needed to do, knew exactly how it needed to be put together, knew they were going to get weird and just went for it. Went, they were like, the only way it's going to work is if we absolutely put the pedal to the floor and go for these ideas. And they did. And I really, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was just a really cool experience all the way through. Nothing like what I normally listen to. Absolutely nothing like what I normally listen to, but it was just a very enjoyable little experience well and you talk about the coheed theme that goes through the amory war storyline and why that's so cool is it's creating a whole it's creating a world it's threading through all of these different plot lines and songs and albums and what have you and building an extended universe and to a much simpler degree since it's one album that's what's going on in madison is it basically is like a hybrid musical but like a very classically inclined one like an operetta like a gilbert and sullivan but Mm -hmm. it's not absurd because none of this 
is tongue in cheek. This is all extremely straightforward for Haley Dahl. It's exactly what you're talking about. It is a vision right down the middle, and she goes for it. And it's not like, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if I did this? She's just taking it as it comes and representing it as it is in her mind. Takes it completely seriously. And that's why the whole thing sings. It's perfectly structured. It's fucking off the wall. Off the wall of the cave, Jeff. The mm -hmm. cave in which it was recorded. Mm -hmm. I wonder, is there like video yes. from it? I mean, they, okay. Yep. Okay, I got to check that out. Because I was like, that's that sounds <laughs> like it'd be goddamn cool. Sounds like it would be awesome. So I got I definitely got to check that out. But Overture was such a good way to get it started. And, you know, I feel like that's another thing that I love that artists are doing now is really trying to get back to album construction and sequencing and understanding, like, taking the listener through a journey. Because, like, you can have a, a huge banger pop album like when we did Dua Lipa. And, like, that album, I don't think sequencing necessarily played a huge role it's like let's just get a bunch of bangers put them all together and and go from there and then this one is much more of like let's tell a story with the whole thing and i love the chances that they take musically you know i think keeping it different you know varying the genres of music that you use to tell these stories helps keep everything very interesting because otherwise you've got to do like sturgill did with the ballad of dude and juanita and go like super hard super faithful to that one exact genre of music it's you either got to go way off the reservation and throw a bunch of stuff against the wall or only throw one thing against the wall and the second you have like an orchestral start to the album it's like you cannot do that all the way through and and have it lyrically land the way that you need these stories to be told um, it's just i feel like they did a great job picking the type of music that needed to be played in the background while these stories were lyrically getting told to us and just the variation throughout the album kept it so interesting. Even, I mean, it wasn't a long album, but it was like 45 minutes. You know, and that's, that's on the longer end of most of the ones that we do. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really nice when you get to the end of it and you don't feel like you've had to just sit down and slog through something. Well, and that's what's so cool about it, too, is it, it does feel longer than 45 minutes to me. But I mean that as a compliment. You lose kind of track of the time. And it fe it's like a DMT trip. It feels really long while you're in it. And then as soon as it's done, you're like, it, it, it wasn't a slog. It just felt like this like expansive experience throughout the 45-minute listen. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's, like, it's perfectly tailored. And you were also right. You can get away with that overture, but then you immediately have to, you can't just, if it had been an entirely like symphonic album, it'd be a way different thing. Mm -hmm. But that's your first trick. What are you going to dazzle them with next? And this album is great at that. Yes. And they go. The next song that we picked is Jesus in Your Living Room Floor. And this one is where it really. This is the one that really got me into it. This was like, oh, these lyrics are very interesting. Like mm -hmm. this story is going to be like very sad. So like, am I one ready for this? It was the middle of the day. First time I listened to the album. So it was fine. It was nice and sunny outside. So I was like, yeah, I get a little depressed here. I got the sun. I got the vitamin D. I'll go out and do some yard work or something. I'll be fine. Um, but it's just like I love the the chorus or the post chorus. I guess is what they call it. Is I pledge allegiance to Jesus, Jesus in your living room floor. You know, and it's just this way that that centers you immediately in the storyteller's shoes. Like it just makes it so that you see it the way that they are. Um, it's just a really interesting album. I mean, it is a concept album. You know, there's some like kind of stuff off the wall here and there, but it like it, it very much has a central theme of, you know, death, how people deal with it, how people cause it. You know, it's just like a very much a small town kind of snapshot like of, of some of some people's lives. And, and we'll and it's hard to like say that without talking about the next songs, because the next few that we're going to talk about are going to go directly into this storytelling and why it's so good and why this story is so engrossing. But it starts with Jesus in your living room floor. The verse one, when I finally die, won't you bury me in the same suit that you married her in? Tell them I was murdered, murdered by a gun found taken down by my long lost son. So now it's like, okay, we have some family drama. We have some long standing issues that have come to a head here. What are these issues? You know, and it's, 
I love when stories, whether it's movies or albums or TV shows, whatever it is, like presents you with kind of what has happened and then has, and then helps lead you through why it happened, you know? And, and I don't like that all the time, but when it's done well, it's a very interesting way to tell a story because you know, the conclusion, what's interesting is how you get there. You know, that's the whole point. And I love that they start out with this one because I feel like this song just sets up the rest of the album so perfectly. This is another reason why I really loved this album is it's very direct, but totally open to interpretation and abstract at the same time. Because you can sit there and you can look for like literal meaning in some of the lines. Like some of them, again, are direct. Like you said, it's got to send you where you're going. But then a lot of them have these abstractions to them that you know meant something to Haley Dahl, but it's not being spelled out for you. And that means that you're supposed to interpret it. And it can mean many different things to whoever's listening. And I got these, if, if we're talking about it like a wine tasting, I got, it's got a very oaky afterbirth. <laughs> afterbirth. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. That's the office. Um, right as I dovetail right back into what I got out of the song, which is murder as metaphor for betrayal and desperation. There's a quotation from... Haley Dahl that kind of set this whole thing up for me. The album was a grand gesture to someone I was trying to make love me. So I think it's a like in this one for me, it's murder as metaphor for romantic betrayal. Mm -hmm. You killed me because this love broke me down and I'm, I'm rotting in self-loathing and despair and unrequited love. And there's that line. I see it as like this very panicked uh, instinct to, fake an incident that would garner sympathy now every night i dream of new answers of crying in limousines of faking brain cancer i think of something like that and it's like is she in this moment considering like if i tell him he has cancer he'll feel bad for me he'll come back like your brain can run absolutely wild mm -hmm. with these lyrics and get it's not i am the fucking walrus it's it's a cohesive story but what the context really is is totally up to you it's it's like again one of the coolest fucking things this album does mm -hmm. and they also remember this part when she says covered in ants in my room on the floor still clutching that same old plastic horse so remember that as we go through the next few songs here so the next one judy's bedroom is one that you selected. This one was an interesting, if we're going to steer into the musical, the light musical comedy, and we're going to steer into the structure of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan or some kind of light operetta like that. This song had a gruesome, almost like Manson family quality to it. Cause it's about a real murder. But it also functioned as like a folk song almost. So it's like, you know, Dooley skipping down the holler. It's got one of those mm -hmm. like handed down through the generations folk song. Or uh, uh, what's the one from The Hunger Games? The Hanging Tree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that that everybody would know and could snap into. This has the feel of a song that ostensibly you should know. It's like one, two, Freddy's coming for you. It's like an old, mm -hmm. not necessarily a nursery rhyme, but an old folk song. Um, and it sounds like it's straight out of the 70s, which is when this woman was killed. Um, and it just, again, it has that creepy Manson family quality to it, like creepy calliope music, but it's about murder. It's about a woman mm -hmm. being killed by her husband. So again, it's just this like morbid rumination on love and how love totally fucking destroys people kills them dead but it's set to like jaunty organ grinder vibes it's very mm -hmm. weird and what's really weird the second verse when they, when she says it was painted blue in judy bruce's bedroom she had chosen ribbons for her hair and then the background vocals like oh <laughs> we're talking about a pretty bad murder here <laughs> yeah you know oh, it's, and it's just like you said it does like the the lyrical content does not match the kind of musical 
rendition, I guess, that like musical feeling, I suppose. But it still works. Like, it's not as if it's a bad thing that they're a total dichotomy between the two of them. But it's like, it, it definitely works. But it is such a, especially that chorus where it's just like, yeah. la, 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 wow, wow, wow. La, 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 Like, it's so morbid because of that. Yeah. It's like Ring Around the Rosie when you, like, really listen to it. It's like, wow, that's fucked up. La, like, la, kids la, were singing la, that. la, la, la. I just, I hear the fucking Manson family singing it. Yeah, and, and like Judy does whatever she pleases because she's with Jesus now. That's some cold blooded shit, man. That's yeah. I again, it's sort of that like, yeah, a tisk, get a task, get a green and yellow basket. London Bridge is falling down. Like, ring around the rosy. It just has this yeah. like totally morbid, folky sensibility to it. It's such a weird little song. I could not pick it. Yeah, it was it was such it was a very good one. And I was this was one of those ones where you texted so goddamn early in the day. Just <laughs> I know to get your picks in there cuz you knew I would have picked this one cuz it's a great song. This one definitely one of my favorite ones on the album. Just cuz yeah. it was such a such an interest like musically it's one you could listen to all the time and then it's deep enough lyrically that it's like it's going to remain interesting for you. So now, what was yeah. Wilt Mm-hmm. is the next one so this one i'm just going to read some of the lyrics and it's going to tell you everything you need to know about this song my misery will bury you and i'm so sorry that i'm scaring you but what was i supposed to do as opposed to loving you so it's like that same feeling you get from jesus in your living room floor it's like they're going to do anything to keep this person you know whether it's lying about brain cancer you know stuff like that it's like there's there is just nothing they're going to shy away from in order to try to keep this person no matter how bad it may make them look you know it's just like they can't see any other way to exist other than with this person well and it's it's this love is a corrupting force and i don't even mean it as a toxic relationship because there are only brief periods in in the next song we'll talk about in particular where it sounds like it could be potentially a, a, a relationship steeped in like gaslighting and emotional abuse and stuff like that but up to this point it really more seems like this other person just doesn't love Haley doll back and like she said up top this is her attempt to get somebody to love her in spite of all odds because this person's never going to love her and it's that kind of despair where you know that, but you're not going to stop trying anyway. And the definition of insanity is doing it over and over again and expecting a different result. And that turns her into this horrible, miserable person who loves this other person so much she can't leave their orbit. So her her self-inflicted misery is just collapsing both of them in on themselves. Mm -hmm. It's dragging them both down. Yeah, it's... I. I also just loved the music in this one. Like it was very much, it matched the lyrical subject matter. I mm -hmm. love when songs do that. Like the, the song Wilt, they're not talking about Wilt Chamberlain. They're talking about flowers wilting. So you've got roses on the brain, but I'm all Wilt. So it, it's it's just an interesting way to use it. And the it musically, it feel like the music kind of goes down in that line when you get to the word Wilt. So it's almost like musically, it's also wilting. Like everything, she does such a good job at making sure that the emotions are always, always have some reinforcements. You know, whatever she's trying to get across lyrically, she has those reinforcements musically that make everything land that much stronger and make you really consider what it is she's saying to you. You know, and, and I think that's such an interesting way to write songs. I think Phoebe Bridgers does that really well where it's like making sure that she makes a lot of noise when it's time to make a lot of noise, but when it's time to tell the story and, and explain why it is she's writing these songs, they're just both so good at making sure that they don't overshadow any one part of the music with any other part of the music. It's just such a well-balanced kind of production that they do with it. And it's just, I don't know, I guess writing an overture, which I'm sure that's not, something that already existed she composed that herself right mm -hmm. am i wrong mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that is a 
doing that, I feel like is almost like the peak of musical theory and, and musical talent is being able to compose something like that, like a multi-part instrumental and have it be that interesting. So it doesn't surprise me that when she's writing, you know, a basic pop song, a basic rock song, whatever you want to call it, that musically it's going to be astounding because it doesn't need to be complicated, but I think just the understanding that it takes to do something very complicated means you understand how to uncomplicate things. And I love that no part of this was tough to unpack, but it was still a very complex story and very complex emotions that are getting portrayed here. And again, the sound that takes place here, we you bring up Phoebe Bridgers. This is the one that reminded me a lot of Kyoto, but the difference is, and, and this is not a dig on Phoebe Bridgers at all, Kyoto, when she breaks into those like giant bursts, like you said, where she's just like, she knows when to be loud. So specifically the chorus of Kyoto, where it just kicks into that second gear and she opens up through the very nature of production, because you're not seeing it live through the very nature of studio production. There's only so far that sound is going to go, right? It's always there's kind of a glass ceiling over the sound when it's produced like that. But when you're recording it in a fucking cave, and this shit can echo off the walls, it's a Phoebe Bridgers-esque indie rock sound that is entirely Haley Dawes. I don't mean to like take that away from her and give it to Phoebe Bridgers, but this was such an interesting experiment because it is the most straightforward indie girl-sounding song, but the element that completely changes it is how limitless recording in the cave makes it sound. Makes this song mm -hmm. sound absolutely fucking enormous. You get swallowed up in the emotional content of it because the song is just so fucking big. Mhm. Mm and what a what an interesting idea. Like have any other albums been recorded in caves? I hope Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds did it at least <laughs> once because that's money left on the table if they did. <laughs> That's well, I think they got plenty of money since they did that theme song to Piggy Blinders. Oh my god. Red Ride Hill. <laughs> I mean the song the song fucks. The song let's, fucks. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush here, but no. they 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 make plenty of money every time that gets played. Yep. That's and I sure. don't like that show, but get that bag, Nick Cave. Yeah, see I I I mean it's not that I love that show. There's other shows I love more. Like it's not on the Pantheon with like the wire or the Sopranos or any of those obviously or even breaking bad but it is a very enjoyable show to watch fair enough because they're fair always enough. fighting you know they're always drinking people are getting shot it's very interesting yeah very entertaining yeah kind of like life in our hometown <laughs> yeah now the song and, and i'm glad uh hope everybody's set aside the next hour of their lives for us to talk about this one here the constable one of your picks when i saw there was a nine minute song on the album and then I heard it, and I really loved it. I was not surprised at all when you chose it as one of yours. You picked the two, like, I think my two favorite ones, Judy's Bedroom and The Constable on the album. Not that I've minded talking about the other ones, because they were also great. But man, oh man, you want to talk about Tom Waits? Like, this is exactly what I was talking about yes. on this one. That's my first holy, note on here. Holy Toledo, what a song this is. I have Tom Waits underlined three times. Yeah. And then I specifically have in the margin written on the nickel as a specific Tom Waits reference. Mm -hmm. Because that's a song that I like borderline can't listen to, even though it's like perfect and it's so well crafted. But it makes me so fucking sad, especially that line. What becomes of little boys when they run away from home? The world gets so much bigger when you're out there on your own. I'm just like, gah. Listening to that in New York City, just shitting myself. Like, I'm the little boy. But, like, this is a song that very much in that vein fucked me right up. It mm -hmm. is that same Tom Waits, even if it wasn't just the sound, it's a great storytelling parallel because his kind of, like, macabre, Tin Pan Alley storytelling style is what makes him unique. And it's that same kind of thing going on here. And it's it's the the first thing that like drew my eye is this first sequence here. You happened years ago now, but yesterday I saw a man kicking a dog in the street. And from the distance, I thought that you might be the man. 
And God, I wanted that dog to be me. And when she says, and God, she doesn't just go, and God, I wanted that dog to be me. It is this guttural, primal sound, God, from inside of her to the point where I go, was this guy an abusive asshole or is this an emotional metaphor for the fact that she feels like she's being abused because he doesn't love her back, but at least someone she loves is abusing her. So Mm -hmm. she like emotionally equating the man kicking the dog with this guy not loving her and the dog being loyal and kind of sitting there and taking it with her coming back for more every time. We're fucking like 30 seconds into the song and you're already picking through all of that. It's Mm -hmm. that kind of song. Yeah. Uh, And the line, because some dogs sure do know how to bleed. Like just some people will take that abuse and others won't. And she's one of the people that will, you know, but, and she knows that's a bad thing, but she's still willing to do it. Like, it's just, I don't, there's so many, there's so much honesty in this, but it's not like you feel terrible for her sort of honesty or anything. It's like, you know, that she is fully well aware of all the things that are, that she's done that are wrong, that have been wrong done to her. You know, she's very well aware of all that stuff. It's not as if she's naive to anything that she's talking about here, but it's still acknowledging that human emotion that it's like, if that's a person you had a connection with and you really, really love them, no matter what they do, you know, it's going to take an act of God for you to see the light that everybody else does and why they're bad for you. And, and, you know, it's going to take a lot for you to understand that they're the wrong person for you. You know, and so it's like you see these things and it's like until that point is proven to you, you're always going to wonder until it reaches whatever point it is when, you know, maybe when she's actually dead, metaphorically, I guess, that that's when it would finally be far enough for her to get it and let this thing go. Well, and then again, the just the most gruesome, gross lyrics that we've got going here. So this whole thing is structured very strange because it's so long. There's not really chorus and all that stuff. It just kind of keeps moving um, in chronological fashion. So this line, it was early this morning when I opened my eyes to find that I couldn't see. So I ran out the driveway straight into the highway and slammed my head against the concrete. There was a thousand pink slugs out of my open skull. It was then I remembered the constable. A once handsome horse rusted into a toy, just as I, a great man, have grown into a scared little boy. A thousand pink slugs. She's talking about getting hit by a fucking car, and her brain has cracked open, or her skull has cracked open, her brain is leaking onto the pavement, and she's having this, like, death vision. Goddamn, genius lyrics keeps fucking scaring the shit out of me. Yeah. She uh she keeps she's having this like last death vision. One of the things I have the hardest time unpacking is the constable and the horse toy because the horse toy recurs through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's those three lines like I'm man enough to admit that like I I'm still chewing over those. I don't know what that means because I just see her like in the rain staring up at the sky like this is so gruesome, but bleeding out of the back of her skull like dying and and having this like dying thought and I just I want to understand it so badly I just haven't found my way in yet I th- I think the horse toy represents like her innocence and not innocence in like you know before she ever did anything wrong innocence in the sense that like the the version of her that does that isn't affected by these things cuz the horse is always there she's going through these like metamorphosis metamorphoses like these changes you know where she's realizing how wrong she's been treated the horse is there when she feels like she's been killed you know because of that betrayal the horse is there when she's actually been killed with her brain spilling out across the highway the horse is there so i think it's i think the horse is representative of the part of her that never wanted to be a part of any of this you know so it's like it's always there because she always knew that it was not the right thing to feel the way that she does to continually want to be with this person that doesn't love her or, or abused her. And that's another clever thing is never being totally clear about that. 
you know, never being totally clear about whether it was an abusive situation or like you said, he just didn't love her, you know, didn't love her back the way that she loved him. Um, I think to me, that's what the horse represents because it just popped up at those points where that realization should come in, where that realization that like reclaim the part of you that existed before all of this, before all of this pain and all this suffering that you've either had visited upon you or visited upon yourself. You know, I, th- I think to me, that's what it, that's what it is. I could see that. And then we, we've got obviously the album cover with her making, holding the blue horse up and making a little shadow with it. Um, and I think what you're saying about the horse toy dovetails with another note that I have written down here, which is a cave is a place of safety, but it's also a place of ignorance because you can hide safely in your cave in the dark, but that same darkness is going to keep you completely ignorant of what's going on in the world outside of you. So it's this catch 22. And I feel like that the cave imagery, the horse imagery, all of that, it, at, at recording it in a cave in and of itself is all metaphor for her retreating into herself, trying to process all of this, trying to make someone love her. This is a musical about unrequited love trying to make someone love you and it doesn't work and how stage by stage you you grapple with that and this is one of the most unhinged hopeless like all is lost moment songs on the album there are moments where it's like very prim but like grim and recitative and then it turns into these like big emotional tangents these huge outbursts uh, these different moments that reflect different emotional states. She's just like hitting all the highs and lows mm-hmm. in nine fucking minutes. It's in there. It, it's a fucking absolute barn burner. Yeah. And, and it goes right into, I mean, it's a nine minute song. It's there's that guttural scream at the beginning of it is like just one of the least weird parts of the whole thing. You know, if that tells you anything about just kind of how off the wall this whole experience is, but then it goes right into the epilogue, which is, I think such a perfect closer for this because it takes you back down from that emotion of the constable. And I think this is where we get, I don't know if we get as much resolution as, as we should here, but we do get some, you know, it's, it's especially, the line, the next time you see me, won't you tell me to leave you alone? Then maybe I can finally go. And I think that's what we've been touching on this entire album is she knows she needs to let this person go. She knows she needs to get herself out of this situation. But, and I think we've all been there, whether it's in a romantic situation or just something you had faith in for too long before you realized that it didn't deserve your time and effort, whatever it might be romantically or not. Everybody knows what that feeling is like having to let something go that you have poured your heart into. And she still doesn't have the strength to just do it on her own. You know, that's what kind of power that emotion can hold over you. And again, not even just romantically, like some people you get so deep into something that you try so hard to make it work that you feel like you are, lying to yourself by giving up on that mm-hmm. that you've convinced yourself that this is a inevitability and you just need to keep trying and keep chipping away at that wall because eventually you're going to get through even though you know better you know and i think that's such a good way to end this album is like acknowledging that she knows better but not really promising that she's going to do any better that's a great way of putting it and it's to follow our our cave metaphor she's coming out of the cave slowly but surely on this one out of you know ignorance of her own like of the conclusion that she needs to come to that this entire album was about coming to everything we've experienced up to this point leads to her realizing what you said which is she's not strong enough to quit this person even though it's destroying her so she has to try to find some kind of resolution even if you can't get over the person, you have to figure out some kind of resolution to the way things are going now because it's not sustainable. So what's the obvious answer? This person remains in your life and you just have to get over the fact that you won't be with them romantically, but at least you still get to have them in your life. And what mm-hmm. 
kind of sends that home to me is the final lines of the song. You showed up at my funeral wearing boots and underwear, didn't say anything unusual, just asked what I was doing there. Well, I'm hiding from the man I hit with my car. Yeah, I'm hiding from the man that I hit with my car. And this was a line, this last part, I rewound it a bunch. I, I just like chewed it over in my head a million times. And to me, this is the solidification of that moment. So in this last song, we've kind of got this like dying vision that she has and like running out of the highway and this kind of like increasingly unhinged final thoughts she's having. And that song, Constable, also just gradually fades away. That's her gradually fading away. And as this song begins, it's almost like, you know, you can leave the cave now. You can go to heaven and heaven. What's heaven? The best possible outcome. The best possible outcome for her is to keep this person in her life. So I just see something like you showed up at my funeral, you did something weird, but you didn't have to point it out. That's kind of our rapport. You were there for me. I know it's not in a romantic way, but you're there for me. And it's this absolutely perfect culmination of the whole album. She gets to keep this person in her life, but she had to learn a valuable, painful lesson in front of us for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And there it is. Yeah. I... Um, stream it just stream go it. stream it understand that it is not going to be a typical album especially if you like you know faster more upbeat more aggressive kind of music you know this is not going to be like anything you really probably listen to generally but get into it for the story you know the same reasons that you listen to the ballad of dude and juanita by sturgill simpson you know the same reason that you know you listen to any real like kind of concept record you know, get into the story, you know, try to unpack it. You know, if we miss something and we probably did, there was a lot of very like cryptic things that were said in this album and, you know, given a few more weeks and, and more analysis and more discussion, I'm sure we could unpack it all, but we're probably missing some stuff. And, and I'd certainly love to hear if there's a, if people got something else about the horse, you know, if the horse meant something else to somebody else, you know, I'd love to hear what you thought about that. So tell us, you know, I think this album is one, you know, a lot of the albums that we do warrant a lot of discussion. You know, they they are are certainly worthy of, you know, talking about and, and unpacking and sharing with people. But this one, I, I think, kind of stands on its own, at least as far as ones we've done recently, that you really should sit there, take in the story as much as you take in the music, like really try to follow along and see what you get out of it. Because I got a lot out of this one. Yeah, and that's what's cool is you will get something distinct out of it. This is not a very literal album, but it's also not incomprehensible, you know, uh, Captain Beefheart kind of shit. Mm -hmm. It's purposeful. It's direct, like we said. But it le in like very much in the style of David Lynch, where he's telling a story, there are just elements of it that he's not spoon-feeding to you that are going to impact... Like you said, we arrive at a conclusion. It's how we get there. Everyone's going to get there a different way. And this album is very much an exercise in that is you'll wind up at the same place that is promised at the beginning, but the trip that you take along the way, much like your life itself, is going to be completely unique to you. And I think that's a huge fucking feat for a musical album to do. Mm -hmm. Stream it. Stream it. It was so good. It made me forget to bring up Frank Zappa until this very moment. <laughs> Well, you did it. Got you it. Did it, my friend. Got it. Yeah, I mean this this stable of artists around like the Dead Oceans and what is, what is the Phoebe Bridgers imprint called? Saddest Factory. Saddest Factory. Um, you know that that stable of musicians they have circling around those two places is really incredible right now. Like really incredible. Yeah, just that whole crew. I mean, Connor Oberst, Phoebe Bridgers, uh, the Boy Genius is an outfit. Mm -hmm. Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker. Now we got Sloppy Jane. Like, there's a lot of shit going on. And and uh, Sarah Tudson, and Illuminati Hottie is not affiliated with that group super closely, but she is linked to Lucy Dacus. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, the Dead Ocean Satisfactory Indie Explosion Expanded Universe. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking, and they're all pretty young too, mm -hmm. you know. So like that's that's also cool, is they're all going to be 
hopefully making music for for years and years to come and fodder for future episodes so you know it's just a really i'm glad we have that available you know because there's there's the big huge pop release albums like the billy eilish stuff you know the dua lipa last year when that came out you know there's the huge releases for that kind of music and those are always fun especially if they're good like adele's album this year but it's nice to have those mid-level ones where they get a little weird you know where it's not really meant for a massive public consumption you know maybe they might happen to hit something like phoebe bridgers did with kyoto like that song got got pretty famous uh but it's nice to have the stable of artists that understand that they just want to push themselves artistically you know it's almost like that you know you always hear about laurel canyon back in like the 60s you know, I feel like this is that same kind of thing, but just for like indie rock music instead of folk music. You know, I think that's what this Dead Oceans and Satisfactory kind of universe is creating is just a, a very receptive, reflective environment that you can go into, get your ideas, bounce them off people, get some more ideas from them. And just it seems very collaborative as well, which is always nice because it's like not every one person not any one person is going to have the best ideas you know someone can have a great idea for a central theme but then need some help putting it together and it seems like that is the environment that's getting built at both of these record labels and it's a really good way i think to make music you know it it should be collaborative because it's it's the only universal language and there's no point like fighting with one another i think i've told the story on here frank zappa um, his guitar player basically got poached by David Bowie and Frank Zappa and David Bowie were just gigantic assholes to each other over it. And it's like, can't we all just get along? And that's what this generation of, of musicians is doing. It's not competition. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we can all work together. We can all help each other. And we all genuinely like each other. And an album like this, like Madison, I think is going to prove landmark for this crew because specifically for Satisfactory, it's going to show that this label is not about homogeneity. You can get mm-hmm. something that's this flavored. You can get something that's Phoebe Bridgers. And they're not afraid to like bring a lot of different things. It's not like, well, Death Row is hip-hop. And that's what it is. There's a lot that can fit under this label. And I think that's a mm-hmm. tremendously smart move to just like make it a breeding ground for people who are doing groundbreaking shit. Yep. Yeah, that is. And, and it's you think about the huge record labels like CBS records way back in the day, RCA records, you know, like the massive ones, Capitol records, like the big guys, you know, that had the big time executives and everything like that's over, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're still obviously going to exist, but the way that people can consume music nowadays is like, you can just put up, like, would we have ever found somebody like Heather Trost 15 years ago? Fuck. Unless we were at like Buke Spieler digging through, use cds or something no way no chance you know but now because of social media and the internet this stuff gets disseminated so much so much more quickly and it's like it's easy because it's like oh well i love that phoebe bridgers album this is somebody that's associated with her let me check that out you know it's so much easier to find these things and especially spotify like the weirder you get on spotify the weirder the suggestions are going to be if you only listen to one genre, you're only going to get one genre. But if you listen to multiple things, Spotify is going to be like, try this. This person knew this person back in 1983, so they did something together back then. Try this one out. You know, it's like it it's it makes a much bigger spider web. You know, the way that we consume music these days and the way that music is produced. And it's also the shrinking down of studio equipment makes it possible to make a recording in a cave. You know, and it doesn't have to be a big feature movie production like Live at Pompeii was for Pink Floyd. That was like a groundbreaking thing to do a field recording like that. Now it's possible because you've got recorders that can fit in your pocket. Yeah. You know, back then it was like the size of a car. You know, so it's like it, it makes it so much more accessible for people to make music that it's like, think about the amount of talent there probably was in the 50s and 60s, but just had no access to distribution, no access to put that talent out there. And now we get record labels like Dead Oceans and Satisfactory and people like that that are just putting out these crazy individualistic albums, you know, that each one is different than the other. Like, think of how close, like, Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers are as people. 
think about how different all those albums were, even though they work together. It's like, that is such a perfect representation of what this like movement and record labels and indie music is doing. I really, really love it. Yeah. Same here. The future is very bright, my friend. Yeah. Well, I think we got to wrap this one up. I think we're bumping right up against, uh, right up against our usual time here. So going to do a little housekeeping here. Give us your submissions for that end of the year episode. Get them to us on Instagram at out on that line on Twitter at out on that line one. You can get us through email out on that line at gmail.com. And where else can you find us, Alex? Oh, uh, you can find us on the YouTube. That's like our big happening. Mm-hmm. That's like it's a it's my kind of happening, and it freaks me out, baby. <laughs> we got a lot popping off on the YouTube. You search hashtag out on that line on the old YT. You find our way over to our channel, where we've got a lot of goodies for you. We got reaction videos. We got singles. We got the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's truly like the Bradley Cooper movie, Limitless. So come on down. <laughs> Yeah, make sure you go check it out. Let us know what you want to hear. And until next time. <laughs>